Good morning. How is everyone? Just to, just two people are great. Let's try it again. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see you all. I missed you from last week, but I'm glad to see you all gathering here today. So this morning, let's bow in prayer, and then uh, we'll let God move. Jesus, thank you for this day. Father, thank you for bringing your people here. These are your people, Lord. Thank you for loving us so much that you gave us breath in our lungs again this morning. You raised the sun up again. Two in one week, Lord. Your son and the son that you created for us to live and thrive through. And Lord, we just love you so much. We want to give you this morning. We invite you here. We ask your spirit to be here. Lord, I pray that you will move in this place freely because we want you to. Because that's what our heart desires the most, is that your presence is here. We love you, Father, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind. But now I see T'was grace that taught my heart to fear And grace my fears Right. 
shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we so much father but i ask you to come into this place and walk these aisles and hold your kids lord i pray that you will move us today and change us and lord i pray that we will hear your word and let it root deep down into our hearts and our souls jesus I ask you to protect this place, Lord. And I ask you, Lord Jesus, to not let us leave the same as we entered. Lord, we love you. And we pray this all in your son's name, who sacrificed for us so we could be with you, Jesus. We love you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Can you hear me? Good morning, church. I'm going to do a little so- something different for offering and tithes today. If God puts it on your heart, the plates and the offering box, they'll be in the back. One nation under God. Some hear that statement, and they believe it to be Scripture. It's not at least not in the way that some would think. One nation can't claim to be God's, throw out his commands and expect him to be pleased. I tell you now, God himself chooses who to lift up, and he chose one nation. He chose one nation to be his possession. He chose one nation nation through which to bless all peoples. He chose one nation to lead the world as his anointed kingdom of priests. And that nation, it's not our nation. Some are going to hear today's message. Some are going to harden their hearts. Some are going to be righteously angered. Some are going to be pridefully angered. Some are going to see God's kingdom under attack. Some are going to see themselves under attack. 
Some are going to seek first the kingdom of God. Some are going to seek first their own kingdom. Let us pray. Lord, let it not be my words that are heard today. Please, Father, let it be your message. Amen. So be it. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a rabbi. I'm not a teacher. I'm definitely not a prophet. But if you hear nothing else from me today, if you remember nothing else that I say, remember these three things about the nature of God. Because these things will help you whenever you're challenged by Scripture. You have the slide? All right. Number one, God does not change. Number two, God does not lie. Number three, God's word is eternal. When I was a child, one of my favorite things to do was to take my grandmother's Bible, and I'd go and I'd read all those letters in red. I was told that they were the very words of God. So I also knew that those words, they're the most important words that I would ever read. I knew that they contained all the wisdom of the Lord our God. I also love that they're typed up in red, right? Because I could skip all that narrative. I can go directly to what God said. Some might say, well, yeah, well, God didn't say that. Jesus did. I tell you now, God did say it. Next slide. So Matthew 121 an angel speaking to Joseph, the husband of Mary, he said this, And she will bring forth a son, and she shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So the angel gave a very specific name with a very precise meaning. He will save his people. I tell you now, the word Jesus has no meaning. In fact, the angel didn't say Jesus. The angel speaking to Joseph, a Jew, he would have been speaking Hebrew because he was referring to the Hebrew prophecies of Zechariah and the name that our Savior would bear. Go home and read Zechariah for yourself and see. The angel called her Messiah Yeshua. This is a shortened form of Yehoshua. It means God who saves. And you already know this. We've said this before. So, so why am I saying it? This is why. From now on, when I... When you read the words Jesus said, say this instead. Say, God who saves said. And pay attention to what happens to you and how you understand those words in red. God who saves said, love the Lord your God with all your heart. God who saves said, love your neighbor as yourself. God who saves said, love your enemy. When I was a child, I wanted to know all the words that God said. But I was surprised that they weren't written in red too. I could never understand why. Why wouldn't we want to immediately identify all the things that God, creator of everything, our Father, has to say to us? As an adult, as I try to walk closer with him, as I seek his truth, I think I kind of understand. It's because mankind doesn't really want to focus on the difficult things that God who saves has to say. 
So I come today before you torn. In Ezekiel chapter 2, the Lord's given Ezekiel a vision, and he calls him to be a prophet. Perhaps God, or perhaps an angel speaking for the Lord, he, he says the following in Ezekiel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak to you. And then the Spirit entered me when he spoke to me and set me on my feet, and I heard him and spoke to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day, for they are impudent and stubborn children. I am sending you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. As for them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house, yet they will know that a prophet has been among them, and you, son of man, do not be afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words. See, Ezekiel, he's told not to be afraid of them. He's told this because mankind's going to reject God's word, and they're going to turn on Ezekiel. They're going to reject his words because they don't want to hear criticism for not following God. Next slide, I think. So, though briars and thorns are with you, and you dwell among scorpions. So God describes these people as, as briars and thorns and scorpions, all things that inflict pain, because these people are going to inflict pain on him. Do not be afraid of their words or dismayed by their looks, though they are a rebellious house. You shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are rebellious. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house, and open your mouth and eat what I give you. And now when I looked, there was a hand stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And then he spread it before me, and there was writing on the inside and the outside, and written on it were lamentations and mourning and woe. Lamentation, mourning, and woe. Sounds like the kind of thing a prophet would say, right? I mean, in fact, in Scripture, one can tell a false prophet from a true prophet because true prophets rarely have anything positive to say. Take Elijah, for example, right? Probably the most highly regarded prophet. I mean, he was so highly regarded by God that, that God didn't even let Elijah die, right? God took him up. And then Elijah, he was foretold to come again. Yet in his time, Elijah was called the troubler of Israel. In 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 18, Elijah responded to that insult saying, I have not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the balls. Elijah said what he said because he was carrying out orders. He was following God's commands. And this is why God's prophets and messengers are often killed. People didn't want to hear, and they didn't want to follow God's word. They wanted to do their own thing. I'm going to assign some homework, and then we're going to do a quick exercise. So if you need, there's paper and some pencils right there on that table. Um, we got the notes up here, so if you want, you can use your smartphone and take a picture so you have them. But if you're willing, I ask that you do the following, and I ask that you do it in this order. 
So read first Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. Then read Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. 1 Samuel 15, verse 29. Then read Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. Then I want you to go to BibleGateway.com. If you haven't used this, you should. It's a great tool. Type Sabbath into the search bar of BibleGateway.com. Select the New King James Version of the Bible. There will be a tab on the side. And then hit the search button. Then I want you to read all 155 passages that come up which mention the Sabbath. When you're doing this, I want you to pay special attention to Isaiah 56, verses 1 through 8, and Matthew 24, verse 20. I want you to do this because they speak of the Sabbath in a time yet to come. Then I want you to research Constantine's law for the venerable day of the sun. Then I want you to find out what the venerable day of the sun stands for. Then I want you to research Canon 29 from the Synod of Laodicea. Then I want you to study modern Christianity's doctrine on the Sabbath. Sounds like a lot, right? Well, it is. Here's what I suspect you're going to find. You're going to find that we prefer to follow man's ways, not God's. That we prefer to hold on to pagan traditions. That we prefer to put idols before God. That we even change God's laws because of anti-Semitism. Some will say, yeah, but Paul says, I'll tell you what. Read what Paul actually says and does in the book of Acts and then his epistles. And then come tell me what Paul says. Now for the exercise. Answer this for yourself. How did you respond to this recommended homework and all these things that I just said about the Sabbath? Are you conflicted? I tell you right now, there's probably some people in this very congregation and they're caught in traditions of men and loyalty to denominational doctrine. They're unhappy with me and they're hardening their hearts. So I come before you today torn, just like Ezekiel. So turn to Jeremiah 20, verses 7 through 12. So here Jeremiah is grieving because of the pain he's endured from those who don't want to hear God's word. But Jeremiah also submits to God. He trusts in God's righteousness, that the work that God has called him to is more important than any opinion, agenda, or desire of man. So Jeremiah says, O Lord, you induced me, and I was persuaded. You are stronger than I and have prevailed. I am in derision daily, and everyone mocks me. For when I speak, I cried out. I shouted, violence and plunder. Because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and a derision daily. And I said, I will not make mention of him, nor will I speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. For I heard many mocking fear on every side, report, they say, and will report it. 
all my acquaintances watch for my stumbling, saying, well, perhaps he can be induced, and then we will prevail against him, and we will take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me as a mighty, awesome one. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and will not prevail. They will be greatly ashamed, for they will not prosper. Their everlasting confusion will never be forgotten. But, O Lord of hosts, you who test the righteous and see the mind and heart, let me see your vengeance on them, for I have pleaded my cause before you. Unless you've ever been involved in the ministry of a church, especially as a pastor, these words, they might be difficult to understand. You probably won't understand the difficulty of, of staying true to God while also trying to please others. The burden of speaking the truth truth that some don't want to hear, and the pain from all the stones that are going to be thrown at you. It's the reason that so many pastors leave the pulpit. It's the reason that so many young would-be pastors never fully commit, and so they give up the path before ever becoming a full-time pastor. Thank- thankfully, there, there are some that, that do hear the calling who ignore the burden and the pain and seek to teach the word of our most high God because they know it's the truth. And they desire nothing more than to please our God, to serve him, and to bring all people to know and love our God, our Father. That's what God explained to Ezekiel. That's what Jeremiah came to realize. The greatest purpose is God's. It's not ours. So I come before you today torn, just like Jeremiah. When Jesus was in the garden on the night before he was crucified, when he was sweating blood, I believe it was because of the burden of all of our sins that weighed down on him. It was from all the it's from the pain from all the stones that we threw at him when we rejected God's word, rejecting him. Some will say that it was the Jews that killed Jesus. Some will say that it was the Romans who killed Jesus. No. I killed Jesus. And all of mankind all who lived, live, and will live are my accomplices. Thankfully, pastors carry on. They recognize that that weight, it's worth carrying. That blood, it's worth bleeding. I come before you today torn, just like Ezekiel, just like Jeremiah. Let me share a little bit of my background with you. I served in the military for 20 years. I began in Army Intelligence, and then I moved into another military community. So as I I did so, I began to put on this identity. It was an identity of pride. I worked with Army Special Forces in the Balkans. I patrolled with Marine Force Recon in Iraq. 
I flew into Mali with Air Force pararescue and combat controllers. I even conducted missions in Afghanistan with a group of Navy boys that you would know as SEAL Team 6. I, su I supported joint task forces all over the world. And everywhere I went, I either wore this, this very flag right here, or I had it with me. Like my brothers and my sisters that I worked with, I was proud of and I love serving this country that this flag represents. Also like my brothers and my sisters, I faced hardships. I was lucky. I didn't suffer any physical wounds like some of you here have in service to our nation. But I wasn't spared emotional wounds. Watching men get torn to pieces, it's not something I enjoy. Sometimes, though, it wasn't bullets or mortars or rocket fire that tore them apart. It was a pain inflicted on their families while serving their country. I'm just one of many. Many who lost their marriage, lost their family, I also lost my friends. Some of these friends that I lost, they're men who had wives and kids. Men that I recruited. Men that I convinced to join the very teams in which they would be killed in service to their country. Whose bodies would lie in boxes draped with a flag. I wish I could say that the pain, that the wounds stopped after I left service, but they haven't. They're still inflicted. But instead of the enemy firing rounds, it's fellow Americans. It's church family throwing stones. Not just at me, but at our pastor. In fact, the majority of the stones were aimed at him for things I wouldn't have imagined and by those I would never have suspected. So I come before you today torn. Remember the three truths that I mentioned earlier about the nature of God? God doesn't change, God doesn't lie and his word endures forever. Hear these words from Exodus 20, verses 4 and 5. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Let God's unchanging, truthful, and eternal word sink in. I'm going to say it again. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. 
You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. The pastor and I were hurt. We were torn recently. In fact, I was doubly hurt because I saw our pastor under attack. Injured by the insults of man. By words that felt like stones as they struck him. Thrown at him for following the command of our God who saves. All of this done on the day of the Holy Sabbath. On a day of rest that is an internal covenant given by the command of God. All this done on the very eve before we celebrated the resurrection of the one called God who saves. The celebration of the one who taught love, love, love. You see, a few months ago, is it up here? Yeah. That flag, that flag was innocently removed from the wall by a decorating team that was getting the church ready with a display for a Christmas service. Afterwards, that flag wasn't put back up. Oddly, there weren't any complaints. In fact, someone had to point it out to me later because I didn't even notice it myself. Interestingly, it was ignored for three months by almost everybody in the church. Until one day, somebody visited. It's a person that had not been attending for quite a long time. That person noticed that the flag was gone. Being a representative of the church, I was asked about it. So I sought answers. I wanted to make sure I had all the facts and I knew the way forward. I said what was correct. And so I addressed the issue with that interested person. And I explained the decision was made. The kingdom of God belongs to no nation. So the flag would not go back up in the sanctuary. God's sanctuary. There would be no idols before God. Then a few days later on the Holy Sabbath day, before we celebrated our Messiah's resurrection, three months after the flag was taken down, there suddenly a group of men and women of the church outraged that the flag was gone. Not only that, there was a rumor that the flag was taken down the weekend prior to Easter and that the pastor and I were involved in its removal. One might say, well, that's just a rumor. But a rumor that isn't true, a rumor that's spread by gossip, thou shalt not bear false witness. An unchanging, truthful, and eternal command. Both the pastor and I were apparently meant to understand that we were not patriots. A hurtful stone was thrown. We're told that we didn't love our country. A painful stone was thrown. We were told that we did not support our veterans. 
an injuring stone was thrown. We were given the threat that if we didn't put that flag back up, people were going to leave the church. A final stone was thrown. Let he who is without sin throw the first stone. An unchanging, truthful, and eternal command. You know what's interesting? Even though the flag was gone for months, not a single person who just threatened to leave the church over its removal even noticed it was gone. Yet suddenly it was the most important issue in the church. Not the resurrection of our Lord, not feeding the poor, not caring for widows and orphans, not tithing to ensure that we can keep these doors open, which we are having trouble doing, as most churches around our country are, or to tithing to take care of all the numerous repairs that this church needs, not unchanging, truthful, or eternal commands, no. On the Sabbath day of rest, the day before Easter, as our pastor is trying to enjoy the holy day with his family, as he was also preparing for Easter service to celebrate our Lord's resurrection, our pastor's phone was blowing up with threats. Because of an idol before the Lord. So I apologize to the majority of you. I especially apologize if you're new. I know you'd rather hear a sermon on the goodness of God today. I would too. Sometimes, though, the affairs of the church must be addressed before the congregation. And so I bring this before you, the congregation. To know that your pastor, a man who loves the Lord, who seeks to serve the Lord, who wants nothing more than to fulfill the mission of this church, love God, love others, make disciples. That man has been consistently under attack, pelted by stones from the day he started. And for what? For not following doctrine? For not serving the Lord? No. Stones are thrown at him when he's accused of doing nothing because those that who aren't with him every waking hour of the day don't see what he's doing and so assume he's doing nothing. Stones are thrown for not doing what certain people want in the way that they want it, when they want it. Stones are thrown for not conforming to personal opinions. Stones are thrown for not meeting the goals of individuals. Stones are thrown for not fulfilling the personal preferences of other individuals. Stones are thrown for not giving in to political arguments. And so many times when these stones are thrown, they're followed by the immediate threat that individuals will leave the church and they're going to take others with them. So their implied threat is that this building in which the words of the Lord our God who saves are taught, the threat is that this church is going to fail without them. Now to be sure, this building, it's going to fall someday. And this world, 
It's going to pass away. But his word will endure forever. So I want you to know this today. Neither politics or the flags, the flag will heal our wounds. Neither politics nor the flag will fix a failing relationship Neither politics nor the flag will raise the fallen from the grave. Neither politics nor the flag will save mankind. Only the one who hung on the cross can do that.